We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to the Brooklyn Buzz. I'm Nick Faye. With me as always, Jack Manuel and Jack. Sadly, we are talking about a Nets loss to OKC 107-121. How are we feeling? Pretty disastrous second half, Nick. Yeah, really bad third quarter. And this is a game the Nets led by 16 in the second. We're going to jump to that in plenty more. Make sure you check the buzz on all streaming platforms. Also, give us a follow on Instagram at Brooklyn Buzz Pod. But Jack, where do you want to start? Nick, I want to start with that third quarter. What the heck went wrong? Yeah, I mean, a lot of things went wrong, and a couple things went really right for OKC. You know, Lou Dorr, I think, hit five threes in that quarter. That's something that's not typically going to happen. He's a guy that shoots 33% from deep, but the Nets never really adjusted when he did get hot. Offensive rebounding for OKC was a big factor in that quarter as well. Nets got stagnant. They couldn't hit shots, turning over the basketball, and OKC just started to really feed into the Nets' mistakes. Yeah, I think at one point, Nick, like Lou Dort had six threes in the third quarter or yep. something like that. He started off with three, then he had five, and then I messaged you. I'm like, yeah, he's got six now, Jack. I'm like, Jesus, Mary and Joseph. And, you know, I, he's a Nets killer because I think in the, this is from Doug Norrie of Locked On Nets, said that Lou Dort has been 20 of 33, 61% from three, his last three seasons against the Nets. That's like prime Steph Curry, Joe Harris numbers. Yeah, I mean, it is really good. Obviously, the Nets gave him completely wide open looks, and that was something they were game planning to do, and he made them pay. And sometimes that's going to happen. Even with that said, the Nets still had plenty of opportunities to win this game or give themselves a real shot at the end, and a lot of it was just mistakes and stagnant offense and not getting Mikel Bridges enough touches and also, I think, not doing a good enough job of you know getting shots in the paint and settling for sometimes just out-of-rhythm threes. Yeah, look, uh, that third quarter, just piggybacking off you a little bit, at one point the Nets were 3 of 14, 21% in the third quarter. I'm not sure if that was overall in the latter points of it. But OKC were 14 of 29. Now, 48% isn't world-beating, but 15 extra shooting possessions is the reason why the Nets scored 20 points and the OKC Thunder scored 38. Yeah, and the Nets in this game did a really nice job, I thought, of protecting the ball in the first half other than some careless turnovers. But... 
then they finished with 17, you know, and a lot of that was just allowing a young OKC team to get out and run and get easy buckets and allow them to utilize their athleticism. And as I mentioned, they also did a great job on the boards. They were just really the more energetic and athletic team. I think you started to see maybe a bit of it being the last game on the road trip and maybe Vaughn should have looked to go into some of the bench guys a little bit more or, you know, throw somebody out there that's juiced up like a Sumner or a Watanabe. Yeah, I think that a bit of creativity there could have helped. Not sure would have changed the result because you look at the first half, Nick, and and things were incredible. The Nets had 11 assists on 12 made field goals in the first quarter, 20 of 22 uh, in the first half. So 20 assists on 20 made uh, on 22 made field goals. Only finished the game with 25. So that uh, reflects the stagnant nature that you're alluding to. They shot 20, 10 of 26 from three in the first half. They finished 12 of 41. That means they went two of 15 in the second half. That's and, pretty... and some of that too is guys just missing shots. You know, some yep. of them were good looks and it's just not execution. And as we've talked about, the variance of an offense dependent on three ball is going to have nights like this, especially, you know, when you have somebody like Dorian Finney-Smith in the last game was able to hit some big threes tonight, one of six and felt like he couldn't hit anything. Even Mikel Bridges, you know, three of 10, which is an off night for him. Yeah, some of the like he could have hit one, one or two corner threes. He might have got hit on on one of them as well. I, I think that that to me is is an aberration. You know, Dorian Finney-Smith is is streaky. You know, and yep. he's Royce O'Neal like in his streakiness. So you know, the three point shooting is going to be a key indicator of how the Nets do go overall. You know, most games that they shoot the ball well, that might win them. But in, in saying that, Nick and shooting the what, ball well might actually cover up some other mistakes. Exactly. You know it. Good shooting, good offense overrides poor, porous defense. And I think the defense did get a little bit sloppier. And I think offensively is where we saw a lot of the issues, as a lot of the stats did reflect. But who did you want to start with, Nick? You know, obviously, I think Mikael Bridges and Cam Johnson, the twins, were were great tonight. But a part of me wants to have a bit of a Spencer Dinwiddie conversation. Yeah, I just want to say one more note on OKC. It felt like they were turning over the ball in the first half. And that second half, they did a really good job of not doing that but also it felt like the nets were making life too easy it just felt like there was string of possessions where they were just getting in the paint and getting shots that they really wanted to and also you saw the nets have really bad miscommunications on some pick and roll plays and on some dribble handoffs and it's just like those things are going to lead to losses against pretty good teams you know okc is contending for a playing spot right now and that's what they're trying to do but let's jump into spence we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, J.J. breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis. Analysis, not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. So Spencer did only 39 minutes for him tonight, 5 or 16 from the field, didn't hit a 3, 0 4 from there, 6 or 6 from the free throw line, did have 6 boards, one of them offensive, 11 assists, 2 steals, 6 turnovers to go with his 16 points, Nick. How would you surmise Spencer Dimity against OKC? Yeah, I thought he was good in the first half. I think he won. I want to say he had nine of his 11 assists in the first half. I believe I that's he, right. Yep. Yeah, he was probably like nine or 10 points in the first half, was getting downhill, had some really nice drives. There was like a spin move one in there, and he was just running the show, and he was really in control. Uh, and it just felt like in that second half, things got stagnant. He didn't get a couple calls, started getting frustrated, kind of played a little bit emotional, and we saw the result. And that obviously hurt the team substantially, given they need him to play well because of the role they're asking him to play. Yeah, the the roller coaster of emotions that you experience in a 48-minute basketball game, I can only imagine at NBA level, you know, playing pickup ball, I, I experience all of them. But there has to be an emotional sort of stability and tenor to it, especially from Spencer Dinwiddie as, quote-unquote, one of the team leaders. He's got the ball in his hands a lot. And one thing stuck out to me, Nick, I'm not sure if you saw it, at about 100, 109, you know, the, the Nets are, are on the way back. There's, there's a few little possessions that they're building some slight momentum. And Spence throws a lob to Nick Claxton, and it's slightly off. And he sort of does a little bit of like a stamp his feet, like sort of like a mini tantrum. And I'm just like, my guy, get back in transition. And Spence, and Shagels Alexander got an easy layup you know, to extend the lead back to double digits. One, I think that the pass was poor, and his lob passing to centers is something that can certainly improve for Spencer Dinwiddie. And to me, that attitude there, I might tweet out the video tomorrow. It just... It left me with a, a slightly bitter taste on my mouth. Now, Spencer has been great. His playmaking has been pretty bloody positive. But that was just a little moment that stuck out to me. I'm not sure if you noticed it, Nick. Yeah, he definitely was. And I think there was more than just that possession. And I think it became a point was, I don't know if he was upset with Clax or he's more so upset with his own play because he was making other mistakes and seemed really frustrated. And there was you know, a later point in that fourth quarter where... Uh, he ended up like walking to half court and yelling, um, you know, just to kind of relieve some of his anger. Sometimes it's just one of those games. And this is also what's going to happen sometimes when you're asking a player of Spencer Dinwiddie's caliber to play in such a hard role. You know, we've talked about on the last podcast, like this is a role that's for a top 10 player. And obviously Spencer Dinwiddie at times has been fringe all-star, but he's not a top 10 guy. And I think that's also why fans can sometimes get so frustrated that they're not, 
you know, including Mikel Bridges more and not giving him a bigger chunk of the offense, especially in a night where it felt like he looked comfortable getting to his spots in that mid range and started to really find a rhythm. Yeah, he wasn't knocking down his three ball at a great rate, but he was also getting to the free throw line a lot in that third quarter, which helped kind of slow down that run to an extent. Yeah, it's interesting. It seemed like there was a changing trend at like 97-102. Mikhail gets to run a pick and roll and he hits a mid-ranger and it's just, it's money. And then like a couple of possessions later, his defense is incredible on SGA yep. to force the the turnover. I'm, I'm going to, I think I might tweet out both of those videos at some point before the next game, but it's, it just seems to me like I've said derelict in their duty for Sean Marks, for Steve Nash. I might have to say it for Spencer and, and Jacques now, Put the ball in Mikhail Bridges' hands. I tweeted out the other day, you know, I'm not like trying to hype my own Twitter. I'm, I'm trying to hype this stat. Spencer Dimity averages 73 touches per game. Royce O'Neill averages 61 touches per game. Mikhail Bridges averages 50 touches per game as a Brooklyn net. Like, I get Spencer Dimity should probably have the ball a lot more. He's got a tighter dribble. He's a better playmaker. But that number for Mikhail Bridges needs to grow. And in fourth quarters, like, it's just you know who your best player is. It just seems to me like idiotic to play through other people and go, you know what? Let's just leave our best player in the corner. Like, are you going to do that with Kevin Durant? Like, no. Yeah. I think even you saw at points in this game where Cam Johnson was getting more opportunities to handle the basketball a little bit and run the show. And not to say he did a bad job, but it's like, you know, Mikel did have 34 points and shot 47% from the field. And like I mentioned, was getting to the free throw line. And as many pointed out, and another thing Justin and I actually talked about on the Timberwolves recap was not attacking a player when he's in foul trouble. You know, SGA gets in foul trouble. The Nets never really go back at him. And obviously he's improved a little bit defensively, but he's still a guy that will be, you know, get caught with his hands in the cookie jar, you know, trying to get some of those steals and be a little handsy. And it felt like that was an issue for them too, because obviously SGA was such a huge part of what OKC was doing offensively. Yeah, and Mikhail Bridges, I thought his defense on him for 90% of the time. That's the one thing that I'm just sort of nearly gobsmacked at, that he can be that elite defensively and... Look, maybe it's a it's a ploy by Jacques Vaughn to let him you know have a bit of rest on offense, but he's an incredible two-way player. He's borderline star status. You know, I I know I think you might have tweeted out, you know, where is he? Is he top 20? Is he top 30? Is he top 15? Like this guy has all NBA potential. And you alluded to it tonight. 34 points, Nick. Like he's dropping 25-30 and it's light work for him. We could be getting 40-point performances consistently from Mikhail Bridges if the coaching staff utilized him more and if spencer just like got rid of the ball and didn't stop dribbling and you know just alleviate his own pressure yeah i think there's definitely could have been more opportunities for you know mikhail bridges to have 28 shots tonight i don't think that's you know anything negative just given where the nets are and what he's shown he's capable of doing and i think sometimes you need someone to carry you especially when Dinwiddie's just having a bad night. Like he just wasn't hitting his shots. He wasn't hitting, you know, obviously his his two point attempts, his three point attempts, wasn't getting the calls. You know, this is a night where maybe you lean into Macau a little bit more and let him kind of showcase he is a star. And the thing is, he's like a 50, 40, 90 guy as a net. Like these are obviously probably unsustainable numbers, but for this point, ride the bloody hot hand. And you alluded to it, Nick, he's getting to the free throw line and it's a number that I just keep looking at and he's doing it nine or 10 times a game easily. And he's improving that craft there. You know, 
He's, I think Spencer Dillon is a better driver, and the numbers do reflect that. He's one of the best in the league in terms of volume and efficiency. But Mikhail Bridges has better three-level scoring. He's got the pull-up three that's a number. I think it's 45% or something outrageous like that. His mid-range game is smooth as hell. He's no, he's understanding mismatches. I think that the best way and the best way for the Nets to keep winning going forward is to keep utilizing Mikhail Bridges and use Spencer Dimwitty as a sort of secondary sort of guy. Yep. Put the ball in Spencer's hands, but you like that sort of first half stuff where it was Cam and Mikhail like combining for 31 points or something outrageous like that. So, look, I still think Spencer Dinwiddie's having a positive effect on the team, but I think he's being asked to do too much. He's being stretched beyond his own limits, as you alluded to as well, Nick. Yeah, I think that's definitely the case. I think it's going to need some more creativity, the offense. And I think when the Nets start leaning to Mikhail as, you know, being that number one option even more it's going to allow them to open up other things in the offense because defenses are eventually going to adjust. You know, they're going to give him more attention and now shots are going to be easier for a guy like Cam Johnson or Royce O'Neal or Joe Harris or Seth Curry when they're on the floor. Do you think that this loss, Nick, is going to have, I'll say, profound impact on the Nets chasing that four or five seed? I think any game at this point of the season matters, you know, substantially. And this is one that you, you know, feel like you should have had because you're up 16, you know, there's going to be games where you're up two and you feel like you should have had them, but this is one where you were riding pretty well in that first half. OKC came out with a good punch in the third, and you never really were able to kind of hold back on and, you know, credit them for playing well. And I think this is just one of those games where the Nets didn't play well. And a lot of you can look at a lot of guys in the team and just like a lack of execution in multiple aspects, one being just making shots, but also, you know, offensive rebounding for OKC was a big part of this and taking care of the basketball. Nick, outside of Cam and Mikhail, who do you think was the Nets' third best player tonight? Um, I think uh, Clax was still able to have an impact, even though Hacka Clax still was negative to an extent. But, you know, Clax finished with 12 points, 4-7 from the field, 4-9 or nine from the free throw line, 12 rebounds, 4 offensive, 2 assists, 1 block, 2 turnovers. You know, I think his impact is still always felt, especially when he gives the Nets that presence inside and also you know, was able to do a little bit with the ball in his hands in terms of like, you know, making shots. Yeah, I want to see like, because we've seen in actually games past really nice chemistry with Mikhail Bridges yeah. and Nick Claxton. Like Mikhail's fed him like three or four lobs. Like let those two figure some stuff out because I think those are our two greatest upside players. And look, Nick Claxton, I hope he's in net for a very, very long time. Mikhail Bridges obviously tied with the the nice contract for the Nets going forward. I want to see those two continue to work things out together because Spencer Dinwiddie doesn't have great chemistry with bigs. He just I just think he's timing and on, on lobs and, and whereas Mikhail just seems to have this innate feel and obviously everyone loves him. You know, his Instagram's on point and the team vibes, all of that sort of stuff. But I want to see that two man game continue to flourish and I want there to be plays run for them. Clax is really improving as a screener. He's rolling, he's ghost screening, all of the the nuances that come with being a big man as an offensive player. You know, he's punishing mismatches, he's Eurostep, all these different little things. And Mikhail Bridges is obviously growing as an offensive player too. Keep riding those two. Yeah, I think so. I mean, uh, you saw even a little bit of those plays run. You saw some of those dribble handoffs. You saw some of those pick and rolls. There was one that was a disconnect that led to a turnover, but you're going to need more reps for them to become super successful. And I think there's a way that they can, you know, 
play off of each other and have success. And another guy who was right behind Nick Claxton tonight was Cam Johnson, finished with 23 points, 7 of 13 from the field, 3 of 7 from 3, 6 of 8 from the free throw line, 9 rebounds, 3 assists, 1 steal. And we actually saw him handle the basketball a lot more in this game than he has over the course of you know the rest of the road trip. Yeah, and I liked it. You know, he's just let him have some opportunities, diversify your offense a little bit more, make it a bit more unpredictable. And I thought that was a credit to, you know, Jacques Vaughn letting Cam cook a little bit, you know, Cam Johnson cook a little bit. So yeah. we've said Cam Thomas cook a little bit um, already in, in the past. But that just, uh, and, and I think that that's going to open up new wrinkles and, and new little nuances to how the Nets can, can work going forward because he's got a lot of talent and it was nice to see him have like a, a bit of a mini breakout game because you know he's been decent enough and contributing pretty positively but it's also nice to see him not get hit in the face yeah i thought this was just kind of more of an impact and he was more involved in the offense where the last couple games it just felt like he was not out there but he just wasn't playing a bigger role and i think like you said letting him handle the basketball just makes him feel feel more involved and it also allows him to get a couple opportunities where he can just go downhill and get to the free throw line too and he's a guy who had eight free throw attempts tonight and i think for a guy that's not super athletic that's something that he's done pretty well in some occasions. You know, there's been other games where he's done a bad job of that, but tonight was an example of a good job. Definitely. Any final game notes, Nick, overall, whether on the team or the players? Uh, not really. I think, you know, this is not a great loss, but you can look at the issues and see, you know, how they could have been corrected and also how some of it was just shooting variants and, you know, your game plan not working out and maybe the adjustments not necessarily being there. And one of your best players in Spencer Doty had one of his worst games, you know, this season. And that's going to typically lead to a loss given the talent of this team. It's going to be about the response. Exactly. But Jack, always a pleasure. Big thanks for listening. Check the buzz on all streaming platforms. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.